Hello, and welcome to Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and you're listening to episode 106 with Marcus Menzer, DP of I Think You Should Leave. Enjoy. Do you, uh, have you been watching anything cool recently? Uh, I feel like I have. Yeah, I, I just watched Pacification. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I haven't even heard of that. Uh, it's just like, uh, it's like a two hour, uh, it's this French movie. It's like two and a half hours of, you know, basically, uh, colonialization on some, some level or another, but, uh, it's just very nice and slow. It just breathes a ton. You're like, can I, should I look at my phone? Or then you like turn everything off and just like shut the world away. It's great. I have, I'm, uh, definitely for the, for my whole life, I was never the like phone while watching things like I was always committed. And then it, I guess it must have been the pandemic or maybe just getting busier, but now it's like, it keeps creeping back up into the, that's so weird. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> I feel like the, the, the Trump, the, the, the Trump pandemic combo just like enabled me to pull that thing out all the time. And all I want to do is hide it. And then, yeah. or like I have the limits on. So every like 15 minutes, I'm like, ah, no, I'll just take another 15 minutes. And then suddenly it's like three in the afternoon. Yeah. No, you're, I actually somehow forgot about that. How like every morning you'd wake up and check Twitter and just be like, are we at war? No. All right. We're good. We're good. <laughs> like, Do I still have rights. All right. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Sort of, I guess. Ah, whatever. Just for yeah, close enough. Yeah. Oh, we bombed, we bombed a different country. That's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I, uh, a lot of times you know, a lot of DPs have been like, oh, succession, uh, the crown and, and, uh, and, or earlier on. And I was actually right before you, we had to reschedule, but, uh, I was going to interview the guy who shot the crown and Andor, And I was like, oh fuck, like now's the time <laughs> I'd yes. ever get to interview. Uh, Andor was the first show that I was like, this is what it's, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I like, just thought it was cool, but I just started rewatching it yesterday and it like, it's just, it's as good as you thought. Like, I didn't think anything of it first episode or two i was just like yeah it's, i think this could be good but whatever i wasn't expecting a lot yeah. now you start from the beginning and again now you get this at least for me i get the meaning a little more you know it's actually gonna it's all building up to something so yeah uh, oh it's great i was at that show this past year yeah by far and i was trying to tell people who like don't watch or you know don't really care about star wars that much I'm like you don't it doesn't matter like it's just a good show like <laughs> although i guess i guess the other thing i mean i religiously watched barry I, uh, yeah. um, I actually was, I worked on the pilot for it that Brandon Frost shot. No, no good. Yeah. It was awesome. Just because like everything we did, it was only like two and a half weeks. Like I don't really ever remember jobs very well, but like that one I was, was very specific because we had like shot lists that they already had and they had photo boarded everything and like they stuck to it. And then the whole show was that. And it was like, oh man, this was all. They knew all this, like they yeah. figured this whole thing out in advance. And that was great. It's just great that they just kept that thing going for four years, you know, and they never broke. It was, yeah, that, that show was a big surprise. I heard, I heard Bill Hader was like real good at, uh, running things just cause like he knew everyone's name. He knew everyone's job. He like, yeah, I mean, he's just a, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he and Brandon were awesome too, but like, they like, you know, they, he's already an editor in his head. Like obviously he's an amazing actor. He's obviously an amazing writer. Like he's got all that stuff, you know? So it's like, 
Yeah. And I'd actually, you know, friends of mine that I work with, um, knew him as a PA. So like, sure. because like I started, you know, we all started in like the early 2000s. So they knew him then when he was doing like kind of voices and telling stories and stuff and, and then everyone just saw him progress. So yeah, the whole thing is just kind of like, I don't know. And then to see all that, it's just you know, amazing, super entertaining. But the show on its own, regardless of all that, the show's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it probably helps that he's a giant film nerd too. Have you seen this thing, <laughs> the, the Criterion in the Closet thing? No, no, I didn't see it. Do you know what I'm talking about, that series? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so he does one where he's he's pulling out, like, you know, I think he pulled out Salo, he pulled out, like, all these other movies, but he's, like, naming the directors and naming everything, and then he goes, ooh, House, and pulls it out, and he goes, this is my favorite movie, great date night, <laughs> and then goes, oh, wait, and unzips his hoodie, and he's got the fucking House, the, cat, the like, logo on his shirt. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, big nerd, cool guy. Uh, oh, what I was going to say about uh, Andor, though, it's because he rescheduled. You'll have to send me any questions you have. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, so I can ask him uh, Ask him what's up. Well, I'll probably get through it this weekend, to be honest. Perfect. You've, that's perfect. Yeah, I think he's I think he's like later next week, so plenty of time. Um, am, am I correct in, in reading that you're technically a doctor? Yeah, <laughs> technically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did the day, man? How did you go chemistry, medicine, uh, loader? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, you know, I grew up, um, uh, you know, I grew up in a, in a medical family with science around. Um, I worked in labs in the summers, uh, did a lot of really, uh, crazy things. And then, um, and I can't say I ever truly loved it. And it wasn't until I was in med school that I really started getting miserable and every year is like, well, maybe next year's going to get better. Next year's going to get better. And then never did. And, uh, at some point I was like supposed to apply to residency and I was like, I can't do this. Like I, I need to breathe or do something else. Cause you know, you also like study. It's just, it's so much work. You never see the world. Right. So, um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so when we graduated, like everyone was like, I'm going to, you know, Columbia, I'm going to University of Virginia. And then for, for Marcus Spencer, it was like career to be determined. It was yeah. like, this really was off the grid long sentence. And then, um, and yeah, so, uh, uh, I moved to New York. I moved in, uh, with my girlfriend and now, um, my wife, uh, um, from college and so, uh, trying to find things that were the opposite of, of medicine and things that I thought I liked and I was pretty burnt out and, um, started scrubbing cases of Panavision in New York for free. I thought maybe there was a way into the film business and it was kind of like what you were just saying, word got around pretty quick that there was a, a doctor like cleaning cases with acetone and, uh, I basically got an internship on, uh, this movie called in the cut. It was like a little indie movie in the East Village. I think the, I just looked it up, the 20 year anniversary is this fall. Oh, so it, it when sounds, it got released, we, we it was, shot did it. Did it hit? I feel like I recognize that name. Yeah, Jane Campion. It was like a oh, Jane, fucking. Meg Ryan movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was like, you know, it, it was basically, it was, uh, Dion Beebe shot it. It was like a, a, it was a single camera in the East Village. Um, and you know, it's like New York, right? So you're running max. He needs people to run mags up to the second, third floor and walk ups. And, and I was super down and within like 
the first week I knew like, this is what I want to do. I think at the end of the week, I signed up for like workshops, camera workshops in Maine. I was like, this is it. Like, this is better than anything I've ever done. And I also was super fortunate because the camera team that I worked with on that was, uh, I mean, they were old school, old school New York, but they were also very like, Hey, do this. Hey, do this. You know, this is how you load a camera. Like I'd never been, you know, this is how you, you know, load a mag. This is how, this is how carts are set up. This is how you organize a camera truck. This is how you talk to departments. This is try and slate. My first slating experience was embarrassingly horrible. (laughs) So it was all of that. And then they just really like threw me in the mix and didn't, uh, fire me. Uh, and like, it was the best. I'm still super close with all of them. I mean, it was, it was like, yeah. That's, how, that's how I got in. Was that the uh, main media workshops that you got into? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it wasn't, I think you, at the time, you just had to like, hey, you know, we'll find out. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't apply, uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, I, I had a class with, um, his name is Doug Hart. I think he just passed like a week or two ago, actually. Oh, wow. Um, he had had this camera assistant book that I read. You know, that was like, I got to memorize this thing. <laughs> so, you know, I took like a medical approach, but you know, everything was just like, it was never in an office. You were always in location. You were always trying to solve problems. People were, it was just like, you know, buzzing on set. You're in the middle of it. Um, and you know, there was still pressure and I really liked the pressure too. So yeah, it's the whole thing. Well, so, and I assume also the, uh, sort of tedium and soloness of a medical career not that i went to medical school so i went to arizona state uh was was uh the op the opposite of that is being on set with a bunch of people you know it's the the teamwork aspect was probably refreshing as well well you know the thing was is that the things that i thought medicine were going to be it just wasn't like i thought that you would have this team and you'd be you know you'd work with like nurses and technicians and you know people coming out of the ambulance in the er and all this stuff and it was like very quickly you're sort of at least to me and i could be totally wrong on this uh, and on top of it i was not very good so i should have no, no authority <laughs> on this but uh um you were just sort of clocking in clocking out you were a hired gun and you know you were to me it was like you had to really just brute memorize everything Right. And there was no creativity at all. And I think that was very different from like doctors who grew up in like the seventies where everything was new, <laughs> you know, right. you know, and, um, you know, and, and it, at least it wasn't the nineties. I don't know now, but like you would spend, you know, you were only allowed to talk to a patient for three to five minutes. Otherwise the insurance company would call up being like, you're wasting your time. Like you need oh, to see your patients today. I was like, what is this? Like, this is not <laughs> right doing i can't i can't but i mean you know i really was super lucky to get in and get all that stuff but um it would have just it's not what i thought it was going to be yeah and i think a lot of there's a lot of like camera people out there who get science and medicine i mean like film people in general who are Uh, burnt out pretty quick (laughs) a ton of dps i've interviewed specifically the the older people but uh were architects oh yeah 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 and I'm kind of fascinated by that journey. Like, why was it architecture that brought so many creative people, specifically in the camera department, that wanted to design buildings? 
I don't know. It's like visually you get it, but like, I mean, I have no idea. What are they? I don't even know what they do. I wish I, I don't know what their day is like. Like, how do yeah. they? Yeah. You know? Well, it's certainly not engineering because you're like, there's a big hole in this building that planes can fly through. And you're like, nah, that's not going to, someone's going to be mad at you if they have to build that. <laughs> the, uh, so was that a pretty quick transition from like loader to second then? Cause, you know, speaking of Bill Hader, you had the pretty standard like, uh, beginning of the camera department all the way to the all the way to the finish line so to speak yeah i mean i think you start out thinking like i'm going to be shooting movies in like six months and then <laughs> you know every every one of these positions is like a real specialty so like you know loader to second took me three years and then i think second to first took me six years and then yeah. first to dp was in the seven year range but like every time you move up, you, it's like a whole new job. Right. Because nobody knows you in that position and then you have to prove to those people and you have to get recommendations for that and to build your like clients, I suppose is the way to say it. But, um, yeah. And then on top of that, you have to sort of just try to live a normal life. You know, you have to, you've got stuff that, you know, you want to be able to like have a family and stuff. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so uh, I think that, 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 it took some time, but like, I also really liked my job and I like working in that apartment a lot. Still do. Uh, I, um, I think the, the, the big trick is to like stay out of people's business. <laughs> it's true. Back in, you, you become one of the old dudes back in my day, you used to, you know, load like this. It's like, right. I have no idea what I'm talking about anymore with digital. So <laughs> I got to stay out of it. It has, it has been kind of fun to, to chat with various people about like the transition from film to digital. Cause I feel like from those on the outside or, you know, simply just like fans of movies, there's this kind of like, I mean, obviously we all romanticize film cause it's pretty and whatnot, but I think everyone I've spoken to who went through that transition basically said it was practically way better to shoot digital and the only romanticism came from the sort of mystery part of it yeah. you know it's like being a magician where it's like once you know the tricks it's, you're more looking at it analytically like ah good you know or like a comedian you can always tell who's a comedian in the room when you're at a stand-up show because they're in the back just going you know mm -hmm. good joke. Yeah. <laughs> nailed it yeah that was fucking hilarious you know <laughs> yeah uh uh, I totally, I think that's like, that's a great summary. I, I would agree with all of it. I mean, the mystery is, you know, I mean, the only person with, you know, with film, the only person who really knows what's going on is the one in, with the eye and the eyepiece. Right. You know, everything else is sort of just guesswork. You don't know what the video tab's doing. You can't even hear some score go, you know, something's wrong with the camera, all of it. So, um, and that mystery like makes everything look better. And so, right. um, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, there's definitely things that I miss about film, but a lot of it is again, though, that period of time where like I was loading or seconding the smell of it, the like, the, it smells like power bait, right? Right. <laughs> I keep like, telling people that I'm like, do you know what power bait smells like? That's film. <laughs> I'm like, huh? I mean, I was telling this, uh, we were telling like loading horror stories last week and one of them was. I was on a movie in Freeport as a second and we were parked on a hill and, um, uh, the carts had not been tied down. And so I like, someone was like, we're flipping stocks. And so I ran and opened up the back of the truck 
and two carts full of mags just like flew out the back and dumped out. And I remember turning around and our uh, DP was uh, Matt Leonetti and his head was poking out of the door <laughs> looking at me. And I was like, I'm going home. This is it. Like, right. this is the worst, you know? And like, everything had to be real. I had to dive in with the loader and reload everything because everything had poured out. And, you know, it's all that fun stuff. And, uh, um, you know, unloading just was like much more high pressure in a way. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I miss all that stuff. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does sound, I, I only got to shoot like 16 millimeter when I was in uh, a film school before college. When I, when I hit college, they're like, this is the DVX 100 and you're going to use it for the rest. I remember we got one 5D towards the end of it mm-hmm. and uh, everyone had to fight for the 5D. And I was just like, I bought a, a uh, what did I have? An AF 100. Yeah. I went from an XL2 to an AF 100 and I was just like, I know the truth. I love now, those. Man. I had an HDX. I love that thing. It I learned. Great. I feel like I learned everything from that one camera. The it took. You know, as uh, someone who kind of, you know, I'm I'm about to hit my mid 30s, and so I kind of have this mental history of digital kind of coming coming out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I re- recall this one era where you remember we had like the lens adapter, like the yeah, yeah the, of course. You actually put the the lettuce. Uh, or like the Red Rock or anything. Yeah, you have it. I may have had the Red Rock. Maybe that's the one I got. Did yours have the spinning glass or the yeah. solid glass? Yeah. I so I, I think I think that was the lettuce. Oh but, yeah, that's right. You're right. Lettuce thirty five, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, but I remember we, Mary, you had to, before that thing. You had to zoom all the way in to get any depth of field. Yeah. And it now looking back on it now that lens choices are so kind of let's say easy. Uh, there's a whole era after the DVX era or the DV era where everyone's shooting on like a hundred millimeters just because they're used to that. Like <laughs> I was like watching old Vimeo shit and I was like, damn, we really just stuck with that. Like everything is like 85 or up. Well, all of it is like you always shot wide open stop. You always like all those things. Um, yeah, the whole the whole that whole machinery to make it look and also like, you know, the color palette, like the everything was just like. You know, you didn't have the full range of film. Everything was just kind of like, what did we create with this this digital thing? Right. In order to shoot shorts or whatever. Yeah, it was, um, uh, what was it 28 days later that gave everyone permission to like <laughs> not freak out about having film? <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I feel like there was a moment, I can't remember what year, maybe this was like 2012 or 13 when, maybe earlier when Roger Deakins was like, I thought it was him. He was like, film is dead. Like he shot with the Alexa for something with the Alexa the first time. And he's like, this has fixed all of our problems. 12 or 13 would be correct. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, that didn't age super well. <laughs> but no. He was right for all the reasons. I mean, it's super difficult. You did know? you, did you uh, go to Cinegear over the weekend? I didn't. No, I missed it. So, uh, I mean, it was kind of the, the vibe I got from everyone there was like, yeah, yeah, a lot of equipment. It was just nice to see everyone again. And like be on the lot because like I went to NAB and that was a fucking nightmare. There was just oh, was it? there's just too much. There's just sixty five thousand people there. That's my entire college. Like it, <laughs> you won't run into anyone, and if you do, it's a surprise. You know, Cinegear is way more relaxed, and it's in LA, so you see all your friends and shit. But yeah, there was plenty of like there was a really high quality video tap that I saw on display. Like, and it was still in the oh. prototype. They wouldn't let me take photos of it or anything because I had yeah. like 
What, what was it? Any, any, uh, I could uh, find the. Oh, you mean it was for but, any film camera? It was. Yeah, yeah. They were just designing like a super HD video tab, um, and it looked oh. it looked fantastic. And I was like, the fact that they're and again, it was a prototype. Like they weren't even done with it, and they're like, we're just showing people that we make a nice video tab now. And I was like, the fact that they have enough money to do R and D for something, they'll probably sell like yeah. maybe like a hundred of you know, yeah. Um, is uh interesting so just the you know films coming back although i've heard kodak can't fucking keep up with it's like supply chain they they fired everyone you know then now they're getting hired back yeah i mean all of it i mean i'm sure i mean the thing is i, I don't know when it, I'm, I'm assuming it happened in like 2019 or 20 but the you know for the longest time it was like whatever it takes to get a film made they'll offer discounts and everything and I think right. now it's the opposite now it's like we don't care if you have you know 50 film cameras on the shelf like you're going to pay top dollar for it you're going to be no more discounts on you know uh, on film yeah. and stock any of it so um unless you're nolan and you buy millions of miles of film yeah, the biggest obviously. size possible. Yeah, exactly, and and advertise it for constantly. I mean, like, I, yeah, it's uh it's um, an expensive thing to do. And, uh, you have to have the budget out of the gate, I think, to do it. Yeah, I did. I did want to ask because, like, a lot of you know, you've got a lot of shorts under your belt and a lot of um, comedy and stuff. But it, you know, looking through your IMDb, all the uh, not all of, but a lot of the first AC work you did, like fucking Thor, Fast Five. Uh, this is the end, Jack Reacher, shit like that. Mm-hmm. What what did uh those being on those sets and and kind of observing that style of filming? Did you have you carried anything over to that? Did that teach you anything that was like memorable, so to speak, or was that just kind of like a, a generally high intensity sets and you kind of move on? Yeah, I mean, like there were. Um, I mean, I think when you're in that world, it's 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 like it's basically just a job, you know. So like once you've seen those things, I don't really feel. Uh, like super intimidated by that or like you know if there's certain actors or directors or whatever like we all it's another job you know um and they're i mean maybe things move a little bit differently i mean ultimately they're just on a bigger scale there's certain right. things that happen to those film sets that are happen on like you know uh film school shorts right. so like you know the basics of it are all still there um uh i mean the one thing that helps a lot is if there's some like latest technology or some latest newest thing, you like always see it on those films. Oh, really? It'll always show up in those things. Yeah. Is that just, I always thought it was kind of the opposite, like music videos, commercials, maybe. Yeah. And then the larger films that was like, we're fucking sticking bog standard here because we're not, we don't want any surprises. (laughs) You know, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, maybe no, I feel like they'll always try, they may not use it, but it'll show up. Oh, but it'll be there. Sure, sure, It'll sure. be there. Like the latest remote, you know, the, the latest stabilized head will show up and you'll be like, what's this thing? Like, right. this is insane. Um, uh, and because like you can always, I think on those shoots, you you know, if you need two technicians, you know, the company will actually send out three just because they want their product to work. Right. So, um, so that's kind of a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, like there's just a certain... Um, you, you, once you've seen those things, you're not really, I feel like at least you're not like super scared to order it. You know, if, if something goes big and say that suddenly you're on a film set, that's now jumped to five, to five cameras and there's 
you know, I don't know. You can lean on people to do stuff. Right. It's like in the indie, you know, low budget world, you kind of have to do a lot on your own if you want to get things done a certain way or shot a certain way. It's hard to rely. You don't want to like put too much pressure on people who maybe haven't done that before, you know? Yeah. It's, it's gotta be kind of like the thing of like, when you get really rich, suddenly everything's free, you know, or like if you're famous, everyone wants to give you shit. It's like, you finally hit the big time and you're like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Like <laughs> I make I, him do it. <laughs> that sounds nice. I wonder what, yeah. That sounds nice. I haven't been on this. <laughs> that was, but that is kind of what I was wondering, like on, cause you, I've heard it similar uh thoughts said before where it's like once you do see the the big leagues as it were um things become less scary but i was wondering kind of on, on a more technical level like going from smaller shoots to your you know whatever thor uh big short well i guess big short's different in this case but um uh lighting you know uh i think a lot of as this podcast is somewhat educational um, and to, if, if, at, you know, if I can, um, uh, looking at the lighting setups and stuff, like what were kind of some of those differences that you saw besides obviously scale that were people were taking into account that maybe the indie people wouldn't quite know about? Uh, well, I think, I think that in my, I don't know. I feel like on a, on a bigger set like that, you have, um, department heads are much more actively engaged with like producers, mm. you know, a lot of times department heads, like a gaffer or a key grip will get hired by the producer. Um, and so, because those budgets are just so massive, there's no real, you know, you have, to, you have to just be prepared to create everything at any given time, you know, mm. all of a sudden, like, I'm not gonna use like a, uh, you know, some A-level actor. Is like, well, I want to shoot my like, you know, sunset scene at two in the morning, you know, on Thursday, but I wanted to do it outside. It's just like, you know, there is no, no in those things. It's like, if, if that's the request, the answer is yes. And, and we will find any way to do it. So, um, but I think it's hard. I think as a DP, at least from what I've seen from like, obviously very like legendary DPs, um, you know, the gaffers and key grip are highly involved and a lot of times the DP is there as a, um, has to just manage correctly. Like, you know, maybe they've heard of stuff that's, you know, sort of the politics, everything is just heightened. Right. So like they, mm -hmm. they can see you know, like the storm coming and let the guys know, Hey, you know, just, just so you know, yes, you're setting up that sunset scene. But what they really are thinking about is doing this, like, <laughs> this, like rain underwater scene in a storm, like, you know, a hundred miles away. So like get enough people to hide, you know, to, to sort of like cover everything. Right. So I, I think that's like, it's just the experience level, um, at that, the, the experience level is, is pretty insane. You know, like every. The department heads are just have worked with everybody and they've seen everything and they're not faced by any of it you know? right they can it's definitely more comedic to them <laughs> whereas sure. i think if it's you don't have the experience it'll scare the hell out of you but right. uh you know the money it's like just on those sets like you're going to spend money um you know you'll try to end at the same time they're smart enough to know where to save it 
And it's just a really hard thing that I think only experience teaches you that. There's no way to read about it or ask, you know, other people about it. You just have to be in the thick of it and probably get screwed at some point right. <laughs> to figure it out. But on, on like a, a technical level, or is it just more like, um, oh, instead of a key light being uh, maybe a, a, a chimerid sky panel, now it's just like a 12 by like <laughs> things just literally get bigger or is, are you seeing like different techniques? Oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm thinking more like, like, I mean, if it had to be like a BB light, like maybe that's the way to go. Just send that thing like half a mile away, right? you know? And then like, I mean, this is, that's the thing is that they have to, you just have to be ready technically. Yes. I mean, technically I would say go big on everything because you don't, it just gives you more flexibility. You know, I don't think it's really, you, you can't, at least in my experience, I think it's hard to like set a mark down and <laughs> be like, you're going to be right here for this line. Right. They're going to be like, no, 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 I'm coming at you. And I want you to push in suddenly last second. And it's not just that, like, it's like the focus puller, they get one champ, you know, they'll do these, especially in LA, it happens all the time where you have, uh, you know, you'll have again, an A-list actor and you get two takes and they're doing like this crash push in on our techno and there's no marks. And yeah, there's a lot of tricks and tools now that they have to make it easier, but yeah, it's not, it's like all, it's all this stuff that, and they're expected to nail it. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to really slow it down. You know, I, you could, if you try to, you're, you're just not going to last very long. I think. I yeah. I mean, I, I've AC'd a couple as a focus puller on like a couple shorts and I found that the years of shooting my own stuff and like pulling my own focus by hand, you know, like on the lens, I, I can see, I can tell the different, tell me if this is true for you or if I'm full of shit and, <laughs> and I'm just making this, but like, I can tell the difference between the area that's in front of the focus plane and the air, like the, the focus looks different in the front area of the depth of field versus the back. And so if that starts to go, I can like, I, I also focus, focus peaking is nice these days. I never had to do it the old school way. They're like, you want to measure it? I'm like, yeah, laser measure That's close enough. I got focus peaking, you know, but like, yeah, you can yeah. kind of into it that. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it depends on the lens, right? I mean, I think anamorphics are yeah. different and then like vintage ones are different. Like there's, there's like a, yeah, there's a different stigmatism. I think to the back, if I remember correctly. Um, I mean, a lot of it, at least for me, always happened so fast that you'd have to, it's like a lot of it was sort of instinctual. And I, I also learned it sort of like in the film days. So like I do both, you know, I'd have a monitor and marks and, right. and then towards the end, just guesswork. And I kind of got out of it when things started going to full frame, which is when it got really insane because yeah. like you needed the light ranges. So you, you needed all the, the highest end stuff to do that. Um, Focus bug. Yeah, but yeah, I say that, but then I also work with a bunch of focus pullers like the legends who wouldn't use anything. And it was like, how did these guys just made a deal with the devil? And they did everything. A lot of those guys remembered it. Um, they just knew frames. Like the focus right. pullers would know like a 50, that's six feet would be, you know, and, and that's how they didn't boast of their focus. So that. That shit's wild. I like, I, I watched, I watched an old get, uh, there's a bar in downtown called the wolves that I was just, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh yeah. And a filmmaker owned, they just did like a party for the strike and all that. 
Oh, nice. And the, and there's a guy telling a story about how like this AC or like old guy was able, this dude has a mohawk and he was like, I bet that's 12, 12 inches, <laughs> you know, three, three quarters or whatever. And they brought out a tape measure and he was fucking dead on. Like, yeah, I tried to do that a couple of times and I, I was never close enough. I was within like a foot, but like I could never like nail it. Yeah. A, a foot at 1.8 is not uh, going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I oh man, so actually speaking of the Big Short, that must have been a tough focus pulling experience uh, with all the crash zooms and like whip pants and bullshit <laughs> like that. Yeah, it was. A, that's an interesting movie. I mean, it changed. Uh, it definitely was like the biggest movie I'd done in the sense that like I met uh, Barry Ackroyd on that movie. I was uh, in New Orleans on something else. Mm. Uh, Barry's. Uh, a uh, normal focus puller on that job was not available. And um, the second assistant that lived locally, uh, he put me up for the job and I met Barry. And um, I was just, it happened to be the right place at the right time. And um, Barry also kind of went through the ranks, uh, more of the documentary side, but he was, you know, crew. And, but he has like just a very different approach to it, especially the way he shoots. And thank God, otherwise I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah you know you kind of you changed my life in terms of like how you would uh how, how you approach filmmaking and like management from the idea that like it's okay for people to make mistakes um and sometimes to encourage it a little bit and then if they happen you know to back them up or to give them another shot um it's really more about the effort and how like engaged you are um, so that one was tough but that was very also baked in from the very beginning because he like we lived on dollies and sliders and the 12 to 1 always like on the pretty much on the long end of the 12 to 1 right. and i remember like at the very beginning like we did the first two weeks on christian bale and he was like even during the take like barry would unlock the dolly start sliding and pushing it grooving <laughs> and i was like all right well <laughs> this is, is this how it's gonna go down and uh that's what they wanted like they wanted that they just wanted you know they wanted the out of focus stuff they won they, they were going to use all of that um, yeah so uh because it's just a really boring story about finance <laughs> right <laughs> like, how are you going to get people engaged like you're going to shoot it like an action movie i guess or um and uh yeah i feel like i learned you know most of what i do i, I rip off from barry um because you've had uh, a few like mentors that have been like Barry, you got uh, with Brian Gross. Yeah. Uh, oh, Brandon, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tag Fujimoto, which I wrote it down, Dean Semler. Yeah. 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 I mean, all those guys, I mean, yeah, they're all legends and they all, you know, all of them have really come up through the ranks and done a ton of indie work. Mm -hmm. I never, you don't realize when you like walk onto these huge film sets and they're legends and, you kind of assume they like just point at the sky and then <laughs> beautiful things happen. Right. But like, there's just a ton of experience there and they know, you know, at, they all did work where it was just like them and an actor and a director and a sound person, maybe sometimes, <laughs> you know, it was like, so it would just not that you don't, I mean, the, all the departments and all the specialties are everything, but you know, and they all came from this indie world and just had to do it on your own. 
Um, but then also did big stuff as well. Yeah. So, uh, is, uh, here's my hot ones question. Uh, in what way, in what ways I've definitely stolen interview shit from that guy. Uh, cause uh, man, the first, the first like 20 episodes of this thing were a little rough. Um, it's like, damn, I he talked to great though. He's like so addictive. I can't let that, that show rules. <laughs> he's too, he's too good. I want to have him on this show and just be like, all right, give me advice. Like <laughs> I can't prepare like he does. Cause that guy is like, he's he got like an army of people. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. But, uh, well, and uh, I will say like certain DPs aren't that well known or maybe don't do a lot of press. So that's like impossible to do any research on them beyond what, Uh, you know, you go on their Instagram and you're like, I don't fucking learn something. Yeah. yeah. Well, right now I have, I've said this before on the podcast. I am the only one here. So (laughs) I produce, I edit, I book. Good for you. The research. I mean, at some point I'll get a sponsor right now. It's a. Right now it's a public service. Um, but the uh, the question being uh, between those like four mentors you had, like in what way are they the same and in what ways are they were they different in, the, in their approach to filmmaking? Well, that's uh, it's funny because they're all, um, like those four people in particular are, everyone has a very different personality, like mm-hmm. extremely different personality. <laughs> like they're not, but also uh, on their movies, they also all have a very similar temperament like they're all you know those people were all different generations too and they all acted the exact same and that was like a weird thing that i um when i first worked with uh brandon um i think he was like maybe 28 at the time so like and he was shooting this adam sandler movie so he had just finished ghost rider i think for that and um maybe mcgruber maybe too but like so he got I got the Blu-ray. I must have bought the only copy at the Best Buy, but fuck me, that's a funny movie. That's so good. It's all time. He, uh, uh, yeah, so he basically, um, here's this, like, 28-year-old kid that's on this $80 million Santa movie, you know, when everyone knows each other, you know, it's like, it's like a high-stress environment, and, um, and he, like, totally handled it. Uh, the second you see it, you, you know, within like, you know, 10 minutes, you're like, oh, he's like all the old timers. Like, mm. this is great. And uh, it's just, I, I think it's a certain approach. Honestly, I think it's just approaching it just like any other job. Like, here are the problems. This is what we're going to do. It's not boring. It's not like easy. <laughs> it's just, it's just very methodical and you know what you're getting every day. And, um, there's really new stuff that happens, but, um, they also want to know they want to have your input like they're not necessarily you know they're not teaching the you know this you know this uh you know 40 year experience gaffer or first assistant how to do something right it's like this is what we're doing you know and um is the camera all good <laughs> yeah the camera's yeah. good all right good we'll just keep going so uh, it's just sort of like a steady approach that they all have uh alike and and um, no matter, at least to me, uh, no matter what their backgrounds are, uh, DPs, um, and like the, the whole gamut, um, weirdly on set, the ones that I see that I've worked with on the higher end, they all have this, the same approach and I don't know how they got there because they didn't work together. Mm. You know, DPs never work together. They never right. study each other. 
Um, and frankly, like, like kind of what I did, I don't think that many people go through the ranks. It's, it just takes too long. Right. You know, by the time you get to shooting, you're just too old like me. <laughs> so I don't know. So I think. I mean, uh, same, bro. I ain't that <laughs> shit. Still doing corporate. I hate. Uh, what do you do? I Well, I because I write for Pro Video Coalition, I'm always, people go, what do you do? I just go journalist. Because <laughs> I've done that for 10 years too. But like. You say DP, like anything I've seen, I'm like, not unless you're watching corporate videos on TikTok, on uh, YouTube. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it just takes, it's like, takes a long time. And, and they just have this, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe, you know, one, um, there was one, uh, I guess I won't, uh, I won't be too specific on it, but there's a, <laughs> there, I remember there was somebody, there was a DP I worked with and they were looking to hire a, a DIT. Mm. And so I put out some names, we hired somebody and then like a day one, the DP was like, yeah, they, they kind of, they act like a DP, uh, DIT. It's like they fit the role. Like <laughs> there's right. a certain like aura that people in certain positions have and they fit the bill. And those are the ones that, uh, seem to work out. And usually it's, I, I'm assuming it's just baked into like the pressures they're under the people they have to talk to and like, it's a self-selecting kind of thing where only the people that are like that make it because they need those skills to get there. Yeah. Like the, like the first sort of have to have some Zen, but they have to be nervous too a little bit. And, and you know, for DP, you to gotta have a poofy jacket and blundstones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get your armor, your shoes and glasses out. Yeah. I know. I don't have, man, watching, uh, oh, fuck. What's his name? Uh, dude who shot, uh, Iron Man. Um, Maddie, Maddie, watching him pop around at like Cinegear and stuff with, he's just always got, I, I feel like they just took the glasses off of him and put them on Tony Stark and went there. That's the, that's his, <laughs> he's like, can I have those back? They're like, no, they're Tony's now. You know that's, yeah, that's probably right. He's got the cool glasses. The, um, also I want, I would, I did want to give you a compliment. I, uh, I got to see studio six, six, six in, uh, theaters oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, when it came out and, uh, Good, just good job on that one. <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, I barely did anything, you know, I basically, uh, DJ shot that through all of, um, uh, COVID, you know, I think they had to ship right. five days in. So he had just, he was, even when they were done, he had to just do tons of pickups. And I just happened to be one of them. So like, you know, BJ was an operator. I worked with BJ was the director and Brandon Frost was the DP and I was the focus puller and the three of us, I think did like 10 movies together or something. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty linked in that sense. Yeah. The, um, oh, I had, I had gone somewhere with that, but now it's, uh, oh, I did. Well, I'll jump around. I don't know if this is obvious, but I'm not very, uh, <laughs> structured in my, in my conversations. I keep drinking uh, coffee. So that's <laughs> Yeah, I need, my girlfriend started getting these uh, Celsius energy drinks. I worked for like Red Bull oh, for eight years. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen those. So with a Red Bull, you know, regular can, 80 milligrams, they'd get yeah, three yeah. cases a month just to have, you know, or give out yeah, yeah. college remember. And so I think my body's good at 80 milligrams. The Celsius tastes a little too sweet, but there's 200 milligrams in there. Oh, no. A coffee's 120. And 200, though, in a can, too, so it'll disappear like instantly. Oh, and it tastes like sugar, you know, it tastes like a soda. So you're like, bang. And the first few, I guess I've equalized now, but I get real tired. I need a nap in the afternoon. But like those first couple, I felt sick. 
I was, you know, like the, you get those like energy jitters. I was like, this is not like, did I just smoke a pack of cigarettes? What the fuck is this? <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, the DP thing. Oh, to your point about being um, kind of the vibe, would you say that it, a lot of it is is kind of just, you know, knowing when to delegate, being a good boss, but keeping your cool? Is that kind of the overall yeah vibe that you're speaking of that kind of 100 percent, yeah i mean um um and like also the trend you know I, I when i started there were definitely a lot more screamers in like 2002 <laughs> like that was, right i mean that was just part of you know that was part of the time or maybe it was just you know there's more like rah-rah from like the 90s um well uh you know a lot of really bad stuff happened um and it's also just gotten more corporate over the past 10, 15 years without mm -hmm. a doubt. It's just like everything's been, you know, nailed. Every, every, there's emails and texts. And, and then on top of that, the phone, there's evidence for everything. Like everything's <laughs> much more corporate. So in a good way. I mean, because it's, it's eliminated a lot of like. There's an HR department now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for the crew, maybe not for the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, that, that's definitely yeah you you just have to like keep your cool i mean that's not only you have to but like you know you're gonna um a lot of people have spent a lot of time organizing your days and you've been a part of that and uh you know the day's gonna end you're gonna get a lot done and then you're gonna move on to the next day no. so like i think it's um there's just a certain rhythm to it that makes sense to me just because i've been on a lot of film sets right no it's like very it, it feels like home i would never want it to be home uh, i'd rather go home right right but uh yeah i mean that's also a big perk about something you know dps get to do and not directors where like directors it never ends you know they, they develop it for two or three years and then they finally get to this thing and they have this tiny bit of time and then they have to keep making it after it's done dps like when it's over like we're we're out i mean i was gonna say in the on, in the same vein which job do you think is better, second unit DP or camera <laughs> operator first unit? Uh, oh, uh, huh. That's a really good question. I mean, I personally like DPing more, so like I would say second unit DP. And I like trying to like fit into like what other people are doing. It's sort of like a, a little bit of a puzzle to make sure you stay in their same vein. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at least for me, like the second unit stuff, I want to, I don't want anyone to know that I shot it. Like that's right. the biggest compliment you can get. It's just to be like, like the DP didn't even totally forgot they didn't shoot that thing. So, um, uh, and that's something I stole some other DPs. Like that's just, I think it's an approach. It's really fun. The first unit operating, um, yeah, I just like DPing better. <laughs> so I, I a hundred percent, I mean, the first camera operating in general is probably like the best job in terms of like, well, yeah, done, I know we're sure. done. Yeah. But, uh, the second unit thing, the reason I ask is cause I, I've, I've, I was a second unit on the last Bruce Willis film. Uh, it was like a one day shoot. We did 11 pages oh, and, yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, it was, it was a great experience, but to your point, like I was getting all these screenshots, I had to reshoot the reverse of a scene, mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, a completely different state. And, uh, luckily it was, you know, relatively low budget. So they were like, you just got to work with the daylight, you know, which made my life easier. But yeah. even the stuff where we had to match lighting, it felt, v it was very, um, 
not gratifying, but like it, it, that sense of calm you were talking about where like they showed me the photos and I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, I know, I know how to match that. Yeah. You know, and you get the L, especially with LEDs, you know, I don't have to gel shit. I was just like, dial it in. Good. All right, cool. And then you got to see it in theaters and I was like, like 15 minutes of what I shot ended up in the film, which I was fucking flabbergasted by. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it all like matched. And I was just like, that's lovely. It's really fun. I mean, I think that's the thing about, I, I think it's less and less now because of probably because of AI and everything else, but like all these tricks we had, uh, to make it work, um, it's kind of the fun, it's just super fun. Like yeah. we were just hacking. <laughs> so well, yeah. yeah. And I'm not hacking as in like being a hack. I mean, hacking is just a computer hacking. You're just trying to break something and fix it and nobody knows about it. Well, and especially with the matching, and this will be a great dovetail to, I think you should leave, uh, the, you know, when you're given a set, like a set look, um, I, in my head, it's like easier to match something than to make it up, you know, when you're given the, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. You're right. an infinite palette. You know, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. You're being creative technically, right? I'm yeah. thinking in it. Whereas, um, uh, on first unit, if you're shooting, we're creating here yeah trying to honor you know the director and the the, the actors and the writer and everything so. so with uh i think you should leave the reason that i thought this was a good dovetail was because every every short whatever you want to call it, every sketch yeah is i got yelled at for saying skit once uh <laughs> no in, in a different i didn't get yelled at. he was he was on the podcast but he was like that it's a sketch it was the guy <laughs> it was the uh uh what's his name oh crap He's the guy who shot Keen Peel. Um Charles? Charles Charles Pappert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh he's a great guy. But yeah. um so how like how do you knowing that your show cuz you've done all 3 seasons, right? Uh-huh. So knowing that you've got whatever the budget is, you know, probably not the most extravagant thing in the world. How do you maximize, you know, your shooting package to get ready for are you are you tailoring, you know, per sketch what uh you're bringing to to the set or is it like one kind of general order that you put in and then like how are you maximizing your efficiency and uh technology and, and creative uh ability yeah i mean basically the thing it's like you said budget and uh time wise and all that i think it should be we have an average like 30 32 sketches a season and this last season was our biggest shooting like day wise we had 24 days and season one was like 18 days so, uh, and then you have talent coming in and then, you know, we, you have 40 mid forties, like locations you got to deal with in those. So like, um, everything is like constantly shifting, like our, our producers, location team, our directors there, we, after three seasons, we're all, I think very tight and we know what we're all dealing with, but it's always shifting. So you have to get one camera package that on any given day can really go big or just be like handheld tiny one camera and, and um because you hour to hour the schedule will shift so we might have like right. our, especially this last season or two with covid like everything can change so you just have to i the only time we ever got extra gear was for crash more on season two where we got some anamorphic lenses uh. but that was it outside of that um yeah, we go, uh, we, we shoot, uh, Venice for a couple different reasons. One of them being, well, so we can go Rialto and get really small 
So that can get anywhere. You get into a car or we can be, you know, on a technocrane or whatever, you know, and then deal with it remotely. Uh, we shoot mainly zooms. And again, I think it's for speed. Yeah. Uh, honestly, we don't have time to like change lenses a lot of times. So we kind of go like old school TV. Yeah. You know, where, you know, back in the day, they would shoot on a, on a Panavision four to one and 11 to one the entire season. Right. Uh, and, uh, actually, a lot of most features did that too, not like the 10 to one cook or whatever. Well, and modern zooms aren't that slow anymore. You know, there's some there's right some fast ones out there. Right. Um, yeah, this, that last season, uh, I mean, I operate too. So like my, uh, so I, I kind of screwed myself, but we used the, uh, on the new, uh, full frame zoom. The easies. Yeah. Uh, no, not the easy. It was, oh. uh, ultra. Uh, it was a 37 to 102. It's a, okay, okay. The two eight and it's great. It, it almost, it feels like a prime, especially when you're shooting like full frame. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we have that. And then we have a set of primes too for like, if you want to go like really cinematic or whatever, whatever right. I would say, or get more atmosphere into it, have like these, uh, patterns there's like, uh, they're called, I think prototype VAs. They're just get really flary and a lot of atmosphere and stuff like that. If you want to. It really depends. Like sometimes a lot of the sketches don't want them to look good. So <laughs> is it just not the look we're going for? The, the biggest thing is just to have a different look on every single, you know, script. So, yeah. Well, and it kind of doesn't really make any sense to use like a C series anamorphic in an office. <laughs> no. I, I would love to try it. I think I would be super down and just live on diopters all day. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what about the lighting package? Do you, do you kind of like have a, a basic lighting kit you go by or is that also, does that end up changing a lot? That changes a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, at least this past season, because I try to just pre-rig as much as possible. Um, and we just don't have, you know, we don't have, uh, a rigging team per se. Um, mm. but, uh, there's a company, uh, cam. That's Chris Galdemez, uh, Michael Galdemez, and they, um, they own like a, a shop here in LA and, uh, they're able to get ahead on sets. It's like the, we've season one, we did no pre-rigging. We just never oh, did. Geez. We just rolled in and went. And, um, this season we have a little, you know, we found a little more time and space to be able to get ahead. So that as soon as we landed, we could, you know, start shooting as fast as possible. So, um, that's just a lot. I mean, again, it's all LEDs, right. you know, it's all Asteras, it's all it's, the tubes. Yeah. And, and basically the biggest thing is just to have a dimmer up. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. They gave, so I made a, a, I was holding that for way too long when you looked away. So I looked like <laughs> a fucking idiot, but, uh, yeah, good. The, uh, I did that's a thing. Sponsor right there. Actually. Yes. Not yeah. yet, but mm. they, uh, they, um, I did this thing with straight, you know, the rental house, stray angel They're They're on the West side, but, okay. um, the cool guys, uh, guys and gals. And, uh, when the tubes came out, the pixel tubes, the original ones, the mm -hmm. AX ones, mm -hmm. me and the, uh, owner of stray, they have a stage there, just parked a little car on it and did like a process shot mm -hmm. with the tubes. And I guess the Astaire people saw that and were like, that's the best thing. And so I was walking through like NAB last year and the, and like the distributor chased me down. And, and he was like, I love all your stuff. And I was like, I don't think you know who I am. And he goes, no, Kenny, right? And I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I was talking to him about Cinegear and they might, 
I guess letting the cat out of the bag a little bit, nice. but they they might they might sponsor. I don't know. They should. He wants to. Uh, but yeah, fucking everyone. I think that's like those Titan tubes are like. I think every set must have them. They do. I can't imagine not having them. It feels weird to even ask for them anymore. Um, they're just kind of assumed. It's just assumed, you know. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is just to know. I like. I just feel like the the dimmer op is such a vital piece to all of it. I mean, I also having said that, I uh, I probably take camera for granted because I just came up with it. So it's just sure. supernatural. I don't feel like I think about it that much. So and lighting is not, you know, something I came up with. So I'm I'm definitely learning a lot every day about it. But um having that dimmer op is just the best thing for speed, I think. Totally. You know. Especially now that it's all on the iPad for the most part. Yeah, or like I mean, the, that's the thing, right, with film sets in general is now everything's two point four gigahertz. So they just blast everything out. So like the Prestons start failing. Oh, sure. The yeah, phones yeah. start messing everything up. Like everything, it just turns into this big cluster of wireless everything. But uh, yeah, they got, yeah, whoever has the strongest uh, signal wins. The audio guys are just like, ha ha. Oh. <laughs> They're still on radio. But there's got to be other bands. How do we only have, what is it, 2.4, 5.6? That's it? Those are the only two bands we can have? Yeah, well, the Teradex are six, right? The the new one is, uh, yeah, that's where everyone's leaning, so that's a good one. And, you know, the, you can always, on the headsets, you can always go back to the 900 megahertz. Sure. Yeah. That one's always a, <laughs> that one's always free. Right. <laughs> Waiting for people to hang out. Yeah. What was, uh, I saw on the little uh, thingy when we, when we booked you, what was the other film that you, you made something else recently? Oh, yeah, I, um, I don't think I can see. I was not sent a screener of it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're um. Uh, if you want, I can I can send it to you. Probably, uh, we're actually uh, premiering tomorrow at Tribeca. So it's called. Oh shit! Well, I'm not at Tribeca, so no. But yes, <laughs> I'm supposed to, in theory, fly out tonight, and I'm hearing they're canceling flights. So I don't know. Oh, because of New because of New York, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we we premiere tomorrow. Um, it was uh, a feature I shot. HP Mendoza directed. And, uh, we are, uh, shot it like two years ago, uh, in mm. Western Massachusetts. Uh, and I interrupted you. It's called the secret art of flight. Uh, the secret art of human flight, human flight. Yeah. Um, it was great. It's just like a, you know, it's like your very traditional 1920 day, um, single camera indie. It was great. Mm. What's it was the, great people. what's it, uh, what's it a boot? It's, um, uh, so it's about a guy, uh, basically the, uh, lead actor is Grant Rosemeyer and his, uh, wife has just passed away and he's dealing with his grief. So he hires a, uh, he basically, uh, hires Paul Racy, who's like this hippie to help him deal with his grief. But the way he's going to deal with it is by learning how to fly. Mm-hmm. He has to sort of go through all these different things and, uh, does he fly? Well, and you know, it's, (laughs) I just started giggling a little bit because that's, because I know it's like a drama, right? It's like an, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's not, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be lighthearted. Like it is lighthearted. We're not like, yeah, you're not going to be like crying all the time. Sure. Well, but what I was going to say was comedy. Well, what I was going to say was the reason I started giggling is because that, that could be a fucking, I think you should leave. So, like they, I think you should leave setups are always like that could be a, a drama or that could be absolutely fucking ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, the best part about it that you should leave is that like, whenever something happens, like that's sort of a very familiar thing as soon as either something happens or something's very topical, like it's the, that's the last thing we'll do, or they'll like scrap an entire script if it's like too similar to something that's actually happened. Right. Cause it always just has to be very unexpected and, um, unpredictable. So, so yeah, yeah there, uh, I know we're coming up on time a little bit, so I'll let, I'll let you go in a second, but I did, I had a couple questions. One, how many you've, you've mentioned before that, uh, you've cut a handful, not you personally, but, uh, uh, removed some sketches, uh-huh. uh, at what, at what number, how many sketches do you think no one will ever see? Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I say that they'll probably, no, I don't know. Uh, we'll, um, we'll, no, we'll I, say, I we'll did. say it, everyone. It's over a, this it's a vague number. <laughs> over over the seasons, I would yeah, yeah. wait ten over three seasons, maybe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe more. I mean, some of them are sort of half. Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if one day they like took one sketch and cut it into like three or four different pieces or something. I don't know. I feel like everything's yeah. There's a um. I don't know. I don't. Uh, there's a lot out there. I think that. What was the reason for cutting? I'm just not didn't hit well or. Because I imagine if they were still funny, you could put them on a Blu-ray compilation, you know? I mean, from, from what they've told me in speaking um, to, like, Tim Zach editors, that it there's a certain rhythm to the show. So there's a certain mm-hmm. rhythm to every single episode. Uh, and they may feel, it may feel super random, but they, like, spend probably as much time curating all the episodes as they do sure. actually uh, cut them. And they're super committed to this 15, 16 minute, you know, um, time. So, uh, so yeah, if it doesn't fit into that rhythm, it's not going to make it, even if on its own, the sketch is great. Um, yeah, they just won't, they won't do it. And I I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not involved in that thing in that process, but like, it definitely works. Oh yeah. Every one of these is like, is like the mixtape from heaven. It's just very... I was literally about to say, like, uh, curation is so undervalued in today's society, I think. Yeah. Uh, be- using music as an example, like, the radio is no longer curated. That's just the same 40 songs, you know, played a million right. times. Spotify has curated playlists. A lot of times those are bought out. But there's, no, you know, there's something missing from the individual coming up with something that fit their taste. And then that would, you know, that would kind of show someone who likes some of the things in that playlist or whatever that that radio broadcasts and then yeah. they would maybe get some new stuff you know so um big big all, fan of curation it's all tailored to what you like to listen to you know and i get bored yeah and this show that's the thing of this show is that like it's not tailored to anyone like, yeah <laughs> you do whatever i mean maybe it's obviously it's tailored to tim and zach but like um yeah man they don't yeah they, they don't they they do what they want to do which is the greatest i think i think that's the way to i think we're probably going to see more maybe not the absurdity uh although there's probably plenty of absurdity out there but just like i think for too long in the past like 15 20 years we've been trying to narrow down making things for a specific you know person or sorry uh, opposite way like making something that like everyone will like instead of thinking like what do i like or what like am i making this for one individual because for whatever reason, that seems to be more accessible. Yeah. Because you can identify with a voice. You can't identify with an amorphous idea, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's like, 
<clears throat> season one, like I remember we were working on something anyways, we were prepping at Panavision. We went out to lunch and like the day after it came out, there were people already just like saying lines from season one, like just in a restaurant. And it was right. still pretty, it's still a pretty small, like niche kind of show. Like people still don't really watch it on a bigger scale, I think. But like, yeah, people, it's its own thing and it's people connect with it. And that's because it's doesn't cater to anyone, I think, you know, that, I mean, Tim has become one of those like TikTok overlays for fucking everything, you know, him just screaming, oh, I didn't, I didn't know none of this shit or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's weird to see. Cause first it was like memes. You would just take a straight image from something and that way. Right. And now it's like people are, you know, it, it's, I actually find it kind of fascinating how the average person is, is remixing stuff almost in real time at this point. Oh, hundred percent. It is in real time. It's like, God, there's one I saw. Um, I just saw this morning, the Matthew Broderick movie, uh, from the eighties inspector um, gadget. <laughs> uh with war games where oh they, sure yeah, yeah. Where, where they put the eggman cartoon into war games in the trailer it's so good it's yeah. so well done like <laughs> it is and, and it, i mean the show has just been out five days or whatever it is six days yeah do you have a i'm sure you've been asked this a bajillion times but any any uh any of the sketches particularly tickle your fancy i mean i love eggman eggman is hilarious and uh uh probably calico is from season two Mm -hmm. the uh, the the p dot yeah <laughs> just because it's just very long and there's super long it just breathes a little more you know right i mean on the flip side like you have metal motto from this season which is like i think people are gonna it's gonna take a while but like it is so filled it just hits you every like every 15 20 frames there's like a new joke it's just right <laughs> so much going on it's over but we're like calico is there's you know, moments where he's just walking away from you for 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, yeah, I'm glad they used that entire sketch. One of the few ones where they used the entire script. I, uh, I enjoyed my, my girlfriend's been watching a lot of trash television, her, her words, not mine. Uh, and, uh, so the zip line sketch hit me, uh, hit oh, me nice. good. Cause the, just cause I, I've been, now I've way too many real housewives and dating shows and shit. And so I was just like, this is, I like this, this is good. Did you uh, watch it? Like, uh, I mean, are there any other ones that you really liked or, uh, well, I, so I will say I was, I was kind of bouncing through them, but when everyone was like, uh, I, I told some of my friends I was going to interview you and they're like, ask how the crooner, how they do the crooner. And I was expecting some weird, I was like, okay, I'll figure it out. And then I go watch it. And I was like, wait a minute, they were doing the bit to me. I thought this was like, <laughs> I thought they had like a question about process shots or something, but that, well, that one is. That one's hilarious because it's, yeah, it's like somebody asked me, uh, yesterday, like, how do they do the, uh, how did you shoot the cruder? It's like, it's in the script. Like they literally yeah. tell you at times you have to make it look fake. And then the other time you don't like, that's how you shoot it. Yeah. I guess <laughs> that's the idea. I, I mean, like they're telling, you know, I guess it was that. weird to me. Maybe they weren't doing the bit. Maybe they actually were asking. Cause like, it's I was really confusing. The whole show was really confusing. Was <laughs> <laughs> doing it? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh. Yeah, you must have had actually about that. You must have had just like a slider on the on the side of the car, right? To kind of yeah, slider dolly the, the yeah. combo. Yeah, sometimes we had to overcorrect and make <laughs> it look really fake. All of that. Yeah, yeah. Tim Tim's anger spurts are like I feel like you could put that in anything, and it's just fucking funny. Like that's a 
it's a great uh he's and bit, he's bit. really the nicest he never yells oh I he, bet. He, he's the anti he's the nicest person at least i've ever worked with i mean it's crazy so that's right uh, yeah it's always weird to see him yell <laughs> uh before i let you go i asked the same two questions but one of them won't make any fucking sense so we'll just bring it down to one uh at the end of the podcast and that is you know a lot of times people go oh what's the best piece of advice you ever got and i always think like that always ends up being oh stick with it um so what's the worst piece of advice you ever got oh <laughs> uh well, i've got a lot of bad oh. what is the worst piece of advice or one of the bads if worst really fucks your head up <laughs> uh probably um to like not make friends that is the worst piece of advice for a guy I mean, it's very, very, you know, like to, this is from the early mid aughts, you know, it was like, you know, very much like we're in the camera department and we run a, run the show. And it's just not the way, it's not the way it works. <laughs> they, they told you to not like, not make friends with the rest of the crew. Yeah. Or basically, yeah, basically run the ship, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's so it's sort of an approach, you know, um, it's a different time too. Like, in in all you know fairness, like back in those days in the film, in the real film days, to me, you know, uh, you know, camera people get fired daily. Right. Um, in you know, in comparison, I almost you know, you never see people getting fired anymore. Back then, people would get fired just because they looked funny on a certain day, or they yeah. You know, there's like a slight focus buzz when like wouldn't even matter and so you really had to like defend yourself um but that didn't translate very well as i you know, go on career-wise and everything like to me the only way to make any of these things is friends well and and i feel like that's why we all got into the thing because you know you get kind of. together you know you want to make a bunch of friends and, and do maybe serious maybe silly uh projects you know well, that was my first thing is on in the cut is like, all those people are still my friends. Like, I was like, this is it. This is my career because why, why wouldn't you want to work in this environment? You know, do you know who, so I interviewed, um, Ari Wagner, but also, uh, the production designer, um, oh fuck, he did Lord of the Rings and shit. Uh, but I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think he also worked on that film. Grant Major. God, Grant. that sounds really familiar. Um, his uh cv is fucking bonkers and he's just the most nice like casual he did all the lord of the rings okay and he was and he basically him and jane basically like started the film industry in new zealand to a well and then a lord of the rings sure. but like uh and he's just been he's had his hand in all these amazing things and he's just kind of like yeah i guess i don't really think about it too hard and you're like <laughs> of course you don't gonna let you go gone a little over time but uh i'd love to have you back on to talk about whatever else you know especially after people can maybe see the short next thing you're working on are you working on anything else you can say uh no not really uh yeah. <laughs> little shorts well here and there but like yeah no and, and also right until, now until it comes out but yeah no the secret art we're really proud of so like yeah hopefully uh it should be distributed this fall hopefully so i think we're all Again. excited about it right on man well uh keep and in touch I, yeah oh, keep in touch and everything thanks frame and reference is an owlbot production 
It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. As this is an independently funded podcast, we rely on support from listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash frame and ref pod. We really appreciate your support. And as always, thanks for listening.